This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Tired of not getting a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm Shireen Marisol Meraji. I'm Gene Demby, and this is Code Switch. From NPR. So, Shireen, I hear you have a story for me. I have so many stories for you all the time, but this is a particularly important story in my life. They always are important, though. They're always important. (laughs) Don't sell your other story short. Okay, well, true. But this one is, like, one of the most important. It was a Sunday in 2004, and I was visiting my titi Ida and my Uncle Ralph. Were you wearing, like, all velour everything? (laughs) No, I wasn't because it was hot. I was definitely wearing a tank top and probably some shorts. I'm in cookie-cutter suburbia, you know, not that many trees, lots of concrete, (laughs) just outside of (laughs) Los Angeles. Right. And I had just recently moved here to L.A. and was trying to reconnect with members of my family who lived in Southern California, my Puerto Rican side, just in case I have to make that clear. My Uncle Ralph grew up in Vieques, and my Titi Ida was a New Yorican all the way, had that thick New York accent, which I absolutely love. It's one of the best accents in America. Oh, yes. It's such a dope accent. I love it so much. And Gene, Mm -hmm. an important part of the story is that there was a basketball game on TV. Okay, okay. And the United States was playing Puerto Rico in the Summer Olympics. I remember this game very, (laughs) very clearly. I remember this game. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. I remember three things about the game. Number one, the point guard was... Really cute. <laughs> so it kept so, me very invested in watching the game. I mean, there are very there are there are a number of things that kept kept me invested in watching the game, <laughs> but that was one of them. Number two, the second thing I remember about that game is that my Titi Ida was always trying to start shit, and she started this ridiculous debate over who we should be rooting for, mm-hmm. whether we should be cheering for the U.S. or Puerto Rico, which is ridiculous because. This was a house full of Puerto Ricans. So isn't it obvious? But my Titi Ida was like, you guys aren't even Puerto Rican. You never lived in Puerto Rico. You're American. You can barely speak Spanish. <laughs> and we were like, what? Come on. We should, we should, but we should talk about, thing, can we at least yeah. just pause here to acknowledge how, like the arrangement by which Puerto Rico is part of the United States, but has a separate Olympic situation happening. <laughs> just, just, we gotta just acknowledge that that's strange. Yes. Let us acknowledge that. Because it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah. So, yeah, we were just like, no, obviously we're rooting for Puerto Rico. And, Gene, you have to remind everybody, like, who was on that U.S. basketball team? LeBron James was on that team. Very young LeBron James. Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade, Allen Iverson. I mean, it was... Silly represent. A, always, always. <laughs> shout out to Bubba Chuck. But that team was ridiculous, which is very important context for what I imagine the rest of the story is going to be about. Wait, who were you rooting for? Oh, I mean, come on. I was rooting for Alan. I mean, it's not even a... <laughs> oh, you were this... rooting for Allen Iverson. Yeah, of course, and the United of course. States. Of course, always. <laughs> I mean, the only time I feel any sort of patriotic fervor is like in international competition. Huh. Especially like we're playing on basketball. Come on, man. Have you been watching that game? We would have been opposite sides as argument. We are on opposite sides. I had no idea. All right. What? Okay. All right, Gene, we need to stop here because actually I'm not the one telling this whole story. (laughs) I'm going to get some help from the La Brega podcast, which is hosted by Alana Casanova Burgess. Okay, okay. And she's got the rest of the story. 
In the summer of 1979, journalist Julio Ricardo Varela was 10 years old, and he was spending the summer with his dad in Rio Piedras, in San Juan. And it was the same year that the 1979 Pan American Games were happening and were being hosted in Puerto Rico. It, it felt like it was our little mini Olympics. For the opening ceremony, they commissioned this big Hollywood-style musical number. And it was so exciting, because here they were. Here were all these athletes. And when you're 10 and you're a sports freak like I am, that's all you were thinking about. I mean, I was obsessed with it. I loved it. Especially, he loved the Puerto Rican national basketball team, La Selección Nacional. It was just like, it was like watching your heroes. And here were your heroes ready to represent your homeland in basketball. Julio was born in Puerto Rico and grew up there. But when he was in first grade, he moved with his mom to the Bronx and would go back and forth to the island over the years. But he never had any doubt as to who his team was. It was always Puerto Rico. And in 1979, at the Pan American Games, it was easy to root for Puerto Rico. Because they were kicking butt. The other top team was the United States. But midway into the tournament, the U.S. squad got into a scandal. The scandal surrounded their coach, the infamously hot-tempered Bobby Knight, known for his outrageous outbursts and angry locker room speeches, like this one. Now I'm going to fucking guarantee you that if we don't play up there Monday night, you ain't going to believe the next four fucking days. One day during the Pan Am Games, Bobby Knight got into a scuffle with a Puerto Rican policeman, during which he allegedly hit the officer. According to the officer, Knight also called him the N-word. He was arrested and charges were pressed. It was all over the news. And it just so happens that Puerto Rico and the United States were set to face off in the final. It was a hard-fought close game, but the U.S. side, led by a young Isaiah Thomas, ultimately won and took home the gold. After the game, Bobby Knight told the press that the only thing Puerto Ricans were good at was, quote, growing bananas. And there was something else. As they were leaving Puerto Rico, this is, you know, this is what is reported. I feel like you're going to tell me that he spat in some mofongo or something. No. <laughs> he dropped his pants and he mooned Puerto Rico. He put his, you know, put his ass against the window. No. And he mooned Puerto Rico as they flew off. Like, the ugly American, here you go again, thinking you're better than us. Julio remembers the incident was the only thing the grown-ups around him could talk about for weeks. Ese Bobby Knight, que pendejo cabrón. Uh, egoísta americano. Maltratando a nosotros. That freaking a-hole, the way he mistreated us. So, throughout this history, right, to me... It's always about beating the Americans. And luckily for Puerto Rico, 
there have been uh, there have been chances to take revenge. From WNYC Studios and Futuro Studios, I'm Alana Casanova Burgess, and this is La Brega. In this episode, David and Goliath play basketball in Athens. Without a doubt, there is a deep connection between being Puerto Rican and rooting for our sports teams. And yes, people all over the world love sports and are proud of their athletes. But in Puerto Rico, the stakes are just higher. Because Puerto Rico, despite being a U.S. colony, competes in international sporting events like the Olympics on its own under its own flag, as if we were an independent country. Journalist Noel Algarín, who has covered sports in Puerto Rico for many years, put it this way. The only place where we can call ourselves sovereign is in sports. In sports, we get this opportunity to be Puerto Rico, the country from the Caribbean. We get to be someone. And then we get chances in a more symbolic way, to face the country that owns you in some way. Today, we're going to tell a story about one of those chances. You could say a chance for revenge against Bobby Knight. A time when Puerto Rico faced off against the United States in basketball on the sporting world's largest stage. Julio Ricardo Varela, a journalist with Futuro Media, takes the story from here. So at the time I was watching the 1979 game on TV, this guy was actually watching courtside. Bueno, mi nombre es Flor Meléndez. Estoy en Bayamón, en mi casa, en el pueblo de Bayamón, en Puerto Rico. Flor Meléndez was a coach of the team that year, and he was a legend in Puerto Rico. In a documentary about the 1979 games, you can see him screaming at players and gesturing wildly. He's looking really sharp with this thick black mustache and fro. Floyd went on to become one of the national team's all-time most decorated coaches. And his story kind of runs parallel to the story of Puerto Rican basketball. So Floyd grew up in a big family. The oldest of 11 siblings, they lived in public housing. We're talking 1960. Flor started playing basketball at his local YMCA. Then, as a teenager, he played in the Puerto Rican League. And pretty early on, Flor figured he had a talent for coaching. He describes his coaching style as fuerte, tough. Yo soy una persona que me gusta la disciplina, discipline heavy. And Floyd got into coaching right around this kind of magic moment for Puerto Rican basketball. Coaches like Floyd and league officials, they started visiting New York City and scouting the courts where New Yorkans were playing streetball. And they started convincing these players to leave their lives behind to come play professionally in Puerto Rico. Here are these amazing Afro-Puerto Ricans who learned the craft and the mecca of the sport and brought it back. It was a different kind of basketball than people were used to in Puerto Rico. 
It was a faster rhythm of play with big dunks. And it was fun. Like, that type of basketball is fun. These were the boom years for Puerto Rican basketball. And as the team kept winning and becoming better, basketball in Puerto Rico became the sport. Fans filled the stadiums. De jugar todos los días a cancha llena y convertirse en el primer deporte del país. This, by the way, is a promotional rap song recorded by the team in 1986. By the 90s, many from that generation of great New Yorican players had retired, but they had inspired a new wave of Puerto Rican-born players. And those players, they took the team to even greater heights. Ganando Puerto Rico. Cargando con la victoria final, 87 por 77. Puerto Rico, campeón panamericano, medalla de oro en estos undécimos Juegos Panamericanos. Gold in the 1991 Pan American Games. Gold in the 1993 Central American Games. And maybe the biggest accomplishment of all. Fourth place in the 1990 World Championships. Puerto Rico, the fourth best team in the world. That's pretty good. With Puerto Rico having made a name for itself on the international stage, Flor Melendez got opportunities to coach in Argentina and Panama, but it was always clear to him that coaching the Puerto Rican national team, that was a different kind of responsibility. Yo tengo un dicho que he has this saying, La, la bola de baloncesto es el alma. Nosotros no tenemos ejército, Puerto Rico no tenemos ejército. Pero que a nosotros ese era, ese era el alma que nos daban para representar a nuestro país, que la camiseta... He thinks about it like this. Puerto Rico doesn't have an army. So we, the national basketball team, we are the ones that have to represent the country. He says that the basketball is a weapon and the basketball jersey is actually a soldier's uniform. And it's this, it's this reverence, right? You, it's like you respect it like you respect a flag. He told me he had this ritual he would do with the national team that at the season's first practice where they would put on their national team jerseys for the first time. Pues yo, yo le entregaba a ellos un, un pin de Puerto Rico, de la bandera de Puerto Rico. He'd go down the line and hand out little Puerto Rican flag pins to all the players. Eso a, a, a los muchachos lo, los emocionaba mucho, viste. He says the players would get so emotional about it. And whenever they'd face the United States in international play, those games had a special kind of weight. It was the chance for his soldiers to go to war. The war we haven't been able to have to win our independence, he says. <laughs> Of 
Puerto Rico was generally pretty outgunned in this war. The U.S., after all, was and is the global superpower of basketball, especially after the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. What happened was a few years before, the International Basketball Federation made a change to their rules to allow NBA players in international competitions. And that change was huge. This summer, the U.S. Olympic basketball team will make history. The dream team of Jordan, Bird, Ewing, Robinson, Pippen, Drexler, Mullen, Barkley, and Magic. That first dream team that went to Barcelona in 1992 was legendary. This collection of superstars has been unselfishly magnificent. It wasn't just a sports team. It was a cultural phenomenon. You've got yourself the gold medal meal. What you want is what you get. At McDonald's today! Gold medal? It's in the bag. And they kicked everybody's ass. It wasn't even close. It wasn't even fun to watch. They were that good. And there it is. And the dream team win gold. And from then on, the players changed. But the dream team was here to stay. The U.S. won gold again in 1996 at the Atlanta Olympics. The United States has won the gold. In 2000, at the Sydney Olympics, same story. And it's all smiles now from Dream Team 4. And then you get to the 2004 Olympics in Athens, and the U.S. team was an institution at that point. And the first game they were going to play that Olympics was with Puerto Rico. The 2004 team was stacked. Allen Iverson, AI, Dwayne Wade, D. Wade, Tim Duncan, one of my favorite players of all time. I mean, the team even had LeBron James in his early days. LeBron James. The U.S. had the best basketball teams in the world when they were using amateur players. But when the NBA showed up, these guys were invincible in the Olympics. I I I mean that literally. Since NBA players were allowed to play... They had never lost an Olympic game. They were the Death Star. And if the U.S. team was the Death Star, the Puerto Rico team was definitely the ragtag Rebel Alliance. The players were mostly local stars from the Baloncesto Superior Nacional, the league in Puerto Rico. You had Jose Ortiz, also known as Piculín. Oh, that's the leader, the rock, the legend. That's Julio Cesar Torres. He's the filmmaker behind a great Puerto Rican basketball documentary called New Yorican Basket. You had Eddie Casiano. Eddie, man, Eddie, Eddie was the firecracker. He would go toe to toe with you. And if he had to fight, he would fight. McGrady and Casiano going nose to nose. Rolando Jorutined. He was all about the craft. Very disciplined and a great defender. And a lot of other really talented guys. Larry Ayuso, Bobby Joe Hatton. And then there was Carlos Arroyo. Carlos Arroyo was the young gun. Arroyo por el cristal, su primer canasto de la noche. Anxious to prove himself with a lot of talent. As Arroyo knocks down that jumper. Carlos was in the NBA. 
He was a starting point guard with the Utah Jazz that season and was on a path to becoming a legend. Arroyo to the angle right, gets behind Tag, shaking and bacon, and they double him momentarily. Now he goes right to the hoop, reverse to the right side, bacon up and in, counted, he's fouled. At 6'2", he was a lot shorter than most other NBA guys, but Carlos was fast, and he played with energy, and he played with heart, and we all loved him. So a few weeks before the Olympics, the Puerto Rican team goes to Florida for a week of practice and a series of warm-up games against the U.S. team. This is strangely standard practice leading up to these big international competitions. And it was an opportunity to get to know the enemy. And at these games, they're playing man-to-man defense, which is what it sounds like. Each player follows a player on the other team and sticks to them. And Puerto Rico, because of their size or lack of it, you know, the Americans are bigger, they were faster. They wanted to play zone defense where you literally stay in a zone and you defend a set area of the court. During one of those games, the American coach went up to the Puerto Rican coaches and asked for a favor. Que por favor, que no le jugáramos zona durante el juego, que jugáramos hombre a hombre, que era donde ellos nos dominaban a nosotros siempre. He said, can you please not play zone during this game? And it was one of those, like, Flor Melendez moments to be like, hmm, insert mysterious discovery music. Hmm. Interesting. They don't want to play against a zone. Y después nosotros, pues, nos quedamos callados. He says they kept quiet and pulled a classic jíbaro move. Del jíbaro puertorriqueño, el hombre del campo, que siempre tiene algo cuando uno sube para allá y creen que uno no sabe nada. He says whenever city people visit the mountains, they think the jíbaros, the country people, are simpletons. Pues siempre el jíbaro tiene algo guardado. But secretly, they always have something up their sleeve. We'll be right back. This is La Brega. This message comes from NPR sponsor Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. The news is about more than what just happened. You need to know why it happened, who made it happen, how it's felt in the communities you care about. NPR's daily news podcast, Consider This, gives you all of that, with context, backstory, and analysis on a single topic every weekday. It's not just information, it's what the news means. Consider This from NPR. We're back. This is La Brega. It's the summer of 2004, and the Puerto Rican national basketball team arrives in Athens to compete in the Olympics. Their first rival is the United States Dream Team, who, by the way, aren't staying at the Olympic Village with the rest of the delegations, but in a luxury cruise ship in Athens Harbor. Julio Ricardo Varela picks the story back up. 
On the morning of the game in Athens, the Puerto Rican team is expecting the worst. Rolando Orutined was in his dorm room in the Olympic Village when one of the coaches on the staff, Julio Toro, barged in the room. Early in the morning, Julio comes in. He's on his, you know, jockey underwear or whatever it was. No shirt, no nothing, just barefoot. He's like, hey, hey, you guys, what's going on, Julio? It's too early, man. So I want you guys to know that we're going to do something different today. I said, what are you talking about? He's like, well, you have to wait and see. A few hours later, the players are gathered in the locker room and the coaches bust out their plan. They thought maybe they had found the weakness in the Death Star. They're going to do a variation on the zone defense that the Americans didn't want to play against back in Florida. For all you basketball nerds out there, a variation known as a triangle and two defense with the goal of forcing the U.S. team to take outside shots. So we looked at each other like, hey, you know, never done it. We lose by 30 every time, so might as well try it. The game was set to start at 8 p.m. Athens time, 1 p.m. in Puerto Rico. I remember I was at my home in the Boston area that day, watching the game in my bedroom, all by myself, all alone. I had a Puerto Rico shirt. I do remember that, my old Puerto Rico T-shirt. And I had really low expectations, to be honest. To jog my memory for the story, I recently rewatched the game. I'm excited. This is the first time I've put this on since 2004. You can see in the broadcast that the arena in Athens was pretty full. Everybody wanted to see the debut of the U.S. team. Before they started playing, both teams lined up for a group picture. Every single photographer turned to photograph the U.S. team. And the Puerto Rican team, they just stood there. The whistle blows. The start of the game, it was pretty tight back and forth. United States leading early by two. Puerto Rico didn't really start off strong. They just played enough to to keep it close. An impressive start for Puerto Rico. I was like, okay, all right. How long is this going to last? This will be entertaining until the U.S. scores like 80 points in a row, and then we're down by 60. And there's the buzzer ending the first quarter. But for me, things really kicked off in the second quarter when Carlos Arroyo found Piculín with a super cool pass. Here it comes. Here it comes. Look at this pass. Hello. Hello. Carlos Arroyo. Oh, what a ball fake. And then it begins. Something just clicks. And Puerto Rico has this sequence of amazing plays. Little by little in the broadcast, you start to notice that most of the people in the arena were rooting for Puerto Rico. And how could you not root for Carlos Arroyo that day? He had these super flashy passes. He was making incredible shots, just dominating the court. Excellent ball handling from Carlos Arroyo. Bodies flying all over the place. Arroyo with the steal. Floor watch Puerto Rico nails shot after shot. He says he noticed the U.S. players in a bad mood, frustrated. And it was probably because the Puerto Rican strategy seemed to be working. Here's Rolando Orutina. You know, we were pretty physical and we were really 
giving it to them, you know, and then it's something that they were not used to it. And it was our turn to talk trash. Go ahead and shoot it. You don't want to shoot it, right? Go ahead and shoot it. Let me see. Let me see your shot, right? As the second quarter ticked down, Puerto Rico's lead just kept growing. It's hard to believe I'm saying this, but the United States trails by 20. And there's the buzzer ending the first half. A disastrous first half for the United States. At halftime, the score was 49 to 27. 22 point lead for Puerto Rico. And you could see it on the faces of the American coaches. They look so dejected. Meanwhile, at 1 p.m. in Puerto Rico, Ira Martinez, then a sports editor at El Nuevo Día, was getting ready to turn on the game when his wife asked him to go to the mall with her to pick something up. Mi esposa quería que fuéramos a comprar algo a Plaza Las Américas. Y yo, pero espérate. Reluctantly, Iram goes to the mall and finds a store window with the televisions turned to the game. Como habían... About 100 people were crowded around doing the same thing. And to Iram's surprise, Puerto Rico's doing pretty well in the first minutes. But he thinks, who cares? They're just going to come back and slam us. So he heads back home in the car when he gets a call from his daughter. Are you watching the game, she asks. Iram's like, no, why bother? And she says, we're winning. Soon Iram is getting frantic calls from the newspaper. Where are you? Get over here. We're beating the U.S. and we're beating them good. no, no puede ser. Even the Puerto Rican players in the locker room at halftime were surprised at the score. Here's Rolando. First of all, my first thought was, are we really beating this team by 19? That was my first thought, right? Go walk into the locker room. And second was like, wow, I have more pressure now than I did at the beginning of the game. Because it's a brand new game, 20 brand new minutes. And you know they're going to come back stronger. You thought the Americans were going to make a run eventually and come back and beat us. They had to. The third quarter is also really back and forth. The U.S. makes points. Good drive to the basket. Pretty move from Allen Iverson. Well, Puerto Rico maintains its lead. Arroyo inside and the lead back up to 21. The quarter closes 65-48. Puerto Rico is still leading by 17 points. And then the fourth quarter starts. And that's when things get scary. It starts with about nine minutes left on the clock. Puerto Rico's up by 15. And LeBron James. James wide open. And hits the three. LeBron James from downtown. And it's a 12-point game. It was the first three for the United States in a long time. And then they just keep making baskets. Lamar Odom cuts the lead to 12. Iverson for three. Boy, that's a huge bucket. As we go on to the five-minute mark. On the court, Rolando watched as Puerto Rico's hard-fought lead disappeared. 
from 22 at halftime to just eight points. I would look up at the clock. I'm like, to me, it's like, hurry up and, you know, finish, right? I, I just want to end this game. Suddenly, it looked like the U.S. could turn the tide in the final minutes. But then... Right here, baby. Right here, Carlos. Carlitos. Fight for the rebound. Here comes Arroyo. Carlitos! Arroyo draws the foul and one. That was awesome. A by 11. Puerto Rico answers the charge. Suddenly, only one minute remains. Puerto Rico is back to leading by 20, and it's clear. The U.S. has run out of time to catch up. Ahí yo dije, ah, ya aquí, ya aquí ganamos. No, no podemos perder. Back in San Juan at the offices of El Nuevo Día, at that very moment, Iram finally exhaled. With victory near, the coach takes Carlos Arroyo out of the game. Carlos Arroyo, the game of his life, 24 points as he comes out. As he walks off the court, cocky as all hell. He looks at the stands and grabs his jersey and pulls forward the part where it says Puerto Rico as if to show everybody watching the name of the place he's from. Oh, that was awesome when he did that. In part, it was a gesture of defiance to a U.S. player who had fouled him a few moments ago. But to many in the audience watching, the message was way bigger than that. Fue como decirle a los tipos. Flort says that it was like Carlos was telling the Americans, Nosotros somos los poderosos, ¿viste? Look, we're the powerful ones. Y ahí empezamos a abrazarnos y empezaron... In the newsroom in San Juan, people started hugging each other. Tears were falling. Iram was so shaken up with joy that he says he felt like a brand new journalist, at a loss for how to do his job. The final score? 92 to 73. It's finally happened. The United States loses in Olympic play with NBA players. They showed some size in the second half, but dug themselves too big a hole. And an experienced team led by a brilliant performance from Carlos Arroyo put the game away. On the court at Athens, Rolando remembers that final moment as having this dreamlike, out-of-body quality. You come off the court celebrating but at the same time you're not still believing what happened and then you're being interviewed in Italian by the Italian press it's a lot of things happening at the same time that you are you know you're consumed by all this and you don't even know how to react you are kind of numb back at the offices of El Nuevo Día everyone was buzzing to get the paper ready for the morning they had already decided on the cover when Iram saw a photo come in that instantly caught his eye. It's of Carlos Arroyo. From that moment, he walked off the court showing off his Puerto Rico jersey. 
It was this quick moment on the court. If you blinked, you could have missed it. But here, captured by the camera, there's something special about that image. And Iram says, Esta es la foto. This is the photo. Entonces voy donde el artista y me dice, no, pues si ya estamos cerrados con esto. Y yo, no, 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 no. Esta es la foto. O sea, esta es la foto de la que vamos a estar hablando en los próximos 50, 100 años. The layout designer was like, no way, we already have the cover. But Iram's like, this is the photo. This is the photo we're going to be talking about 50, 100 years from now. This needs to be the cover. Cuando hablemos de ese juego, esta es la foto que siempre va a tener la gente en la mente. All night long, the island celebrates the win. The next morning, the team wakes up and heads mostly together to the cafeteria for breakfast. And as they walk through the Olympic Village, eran todas las delegaciones. all the delegations of athletes from around the world were there. Y perdona que me emociono un poco, tú sabes. And as they walked into the cafeteria, parecía una fiesta de, de Puerto Rico allí porque eran los, los alemanes, los, los de Irak, todos, 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 todos los países parados dejaron de, de almorzar para, para, para aplaudir al equipo de Puerto Rico. Flor says, you'd think it was a Puerto Rican party. Everybody from the Germans, the Iraqis, all of them stood up, stopped eating, and clapped for Puerto Rico. He says it's something one never imagined could happen. They were getting a standing ovation from the world. All right, Shereen, so the things you said you remember most about that game were, you know, Carlos Arroyo was really cute. <laughs> yes. Uh, you were with your, your family, your Puerto Rican family, and there was this whole, was. you know, back and forth, very heated back and forth over who y'all should be rooting for. And I'm assuming three is that <laughs> against all the odds against, I mean, they were like all the major odds. underdogs. They should have got blown up by 30. Puerto Rico won. And they didn't just win by like two points. Yeah, they stomped. They stomped. They stomped, they stomped your boy, Allen Iverson. Uh, to, the, to the point where like U.S. basketball had to do some soul searching. Like they were literally like weird. They literally <laughs> reorganized the entire U.S. basketball operation because of this loss. Like that was how bad it was. Like it was a humiliation. Oh my God. Everybody in my Titi Ida and Uncle Ralph's house was happy elated oh even the people who were rooting for the u.s <laughs> nobody was really rooting for the united states come on the u.s did not okay. beat us on august 15th 2004 and it is a day that i will never forget it was oh, actually so the sweet. last time i saw my titi Ida and my uncle ralph alive not to bring it down but yeah it was the last time i saw them alive it was an amazing game it was an amazing memory oh. really really special for me and I know so many Puerto Ricans have their own memories of that win, where they were in their lives, what was going on, what it meant to them, whether you were born and raised in Puerto Rico, whether you can speak perfect Spanish or not, you know, whether you grew up stateside with a Puerto Rican mom and, dare I say it, an Iranian dad. Because that's how I have to end every yeah, episode. <laughs> Just think that's that you're talking about you. <laughs> Um, <laughs> all 
right, y'all. That is our show. Big thanks to the La Brega podcast, hosted by Alana Casanova-Burgess, and to Julio Ricardo Varela, who reported on the episode. He co-hosts the podcast In the Thick. Julio Ricardo Varela. You're showing off. We are back next week with more Code Switch. I'm Gene Demme. I'm Shireen Marisol Maraji. Be easy, y'all. Peace. And here's Alana with the rest of the credits. La Brega is a co-production of WNYC Studios and Futuro Studios. This episode was produced by Marlon Bishop, Ezequiel Rodriguez Andino, and Mark Pagan. The story was edited by Luis Treyes. Fact-checking by Gabriel Aviles Aponte. Engineering is by Stephanie Lebeau. Original music for La Brega was composed by Balloon, and our theme song is by Ife. Art for this piece was done by Mia Pagan. Leadership support for La Brega is provided by the Jonathan Logan Family Foundation and the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, with additional support provided by Amy Liss. Special thanks to Marga Pavon, Noel Algarin, and to Julio Cesar Torres, who made a great documentary about basketball in Puerto Rico called New Yorican Basket, and you should seriously go see it. Oh, and Julio has one last part of the story to tell you. There's another happy ending for the story. For Rolando Orutinen, Athens changed his life in more ways than one. He met his wife in Athens. And she did synchronized swimming for Puerto Rico. He met her on his way to the cafeteria the morning after the game. I came with more than what I thought I was going to come back with, right? Question, do you think you winning, beating the United States kind of added, you know, it's like high school in the cafeteria. You're like, oh my God. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so because I really had to battle, right? I really had to, to bring my, my A game. Coming up next episode, the people standing on the long line of Puerto Rico's debt and their struggle to collect what the government owes them. Hasta la próxima. In recent mass shootings, people have been targeted for who they are or who they worship. But on June 28, 2018, people were targeted for the job they do at a newspaper. Listen to the new series from NPR's Embedded about the survivors at the Capitol Gazette. Taylor Swift has dropped a new album. She is the biggest pop star in the world, and everything she does makes news. I gasped. I was like, oh my God, I've been there, and you can identify with it. For a breakdown of Taylor Swift and her new album, The Tortured Poets Department, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Ah, the satisfying sounds of more sales in your business. And from the sound of it, your business is growing. But you shouldn't have to pay more to scale your business. With Stamps.com, you can import orders from wherever you sell online, find the lowest rates with the fastest delivery times, and instantly deliver tracking updates to your customers and stock up on supplies. Get started at Stamps.com today with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago? Dressing. Like, not salad dressing. I've always loved it and I'll never stop. <laughs> dressing my body. That's all part of the new game show, Wildcard, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.